0: Hello, I'm Dr. Tracy Hogan. And as a licensed counselor, I've had the privilege of helping people for more than 25 years. How does this podcast shine new light on your most persistent problem? Well, I'll help you get to that sweet spot between the best psychology has to offer and the best spirituality has to offer. Are you ready? Let's climb this happiness ladder. We've been going up the ladder of happiness and discussing how each of the six rungs applies to our relationships, or what I call connection, mostly because I needed a C word there. In part one, I talked about how a really great charity or service you can do for your kids or your spouse is to spend time alone. In part two, we covered a great way to make connection is to give emotional support by summarizing and reflecting. This is part three, and we'll talk about how gratitude and positive attitude affect our relationships. So this podcast is for anyone who's trying to awaken their brain and believes in good and believes that to better your relationship with yourself and with others is good and will bring happiness. Every time I hear, love thy neighbor as thyself, I think, well, most people I know have a hard time loving themselves. There's this part of me that cringes when I say, yes, I love myself, because I think of someone who's prideful or full of themselves. Or it sounds like those positive affirmations from the 1980s, and I hear the spa music, love yourself. Sometimes I wonder if it's hard to love myself because of all the negative thoughts, I think. Negative thoughts are synonyms for worries. I want to tell you about some of the things I know that people worry about, but remember, I disguise the identity of my clients, so just the important parts are true. My client, Cecilia Budge, was five foot seven and about 165 pounds. Some kid in the fifth grade started calling her Pudgy Budgy. She endured a ton of insults and teasing, and her negative thinking was that she was fat, ugly, and worthless. Because women are told over and over again, in a million subtle and not-so-subtle ways that their value is determined by their appearance, in high school she lost 40 pounds, and then girls started to compliment her and boys started paying attention. But irregardless of how she starved and shed her weight, her mind clung to the belief that her body would never be good enough. She felt worthless and worried people wouldn't love her unless she was really, really skinny. She always worried, am I thin enough? Another example, I do career counseling and I've encountered these two men, both in their 30s who were excellent musicians and chose to follow their dreams and teach high school and junior high school music. One even got a master's degree in music performance. Well, as they married and the children started coming along, They found it was difficult to support their family on a teacher's salary. Then the administration imposed loads of achievement standards for the teachers and made their lives much more complicated and stressful. But the biggest heartache was the junior high students. This age group was especially rude. They caused unceasing behavior problems. The students didn't really want to be in a music class. They thought of this elective as their social time. Nobody could actually practice music. Both of these men grew to feel beat up and broken and to decide it was painfully hard to make music a career. Their years have been full of worry. Is this career ever going to cut it? Will I be able to support my family? Am I doing well enough? Another example. One of the most anxious clients I've ever met was a project manager in an IT company. She was in her 50s, so the technical skills she learned were outdated, but she had to manage people who were creating and rolling out brand new technology. She was so overwhelmed by the pressures of her job that she had to have a Xanax, which is a benzodiazepine muscle relaxer and highly addictive, in her pocket, and she would try and hold off and make it last until at least lunchtime but she'd have to pop that pill by 10 a.m. Most every morning that happened, she was constantly worried about the quality of the work she was responsible for. She worried she'd be exposed as not capable, and she worried, am I performing well enough? Justin Coulson, Australian family therapist, recently interviewed 400 teenage girls and wanted to know what was the most important. He said, a thing that really stood out was a plea to know if I am worthy. Am I good enough? So why has our positive attitude, why has our self-esteem and our self-worth dropped so low? Why do we think so many negative thoughts? Psychology explains that comparison is deadly to our worth. It is a natural part of development, but unfortunately, we start comparing ourselves to others in about the third grade. Then when we start romantic relationships, we amp up our worry and our comparison about being good enough. Then social media ramps comparison to epic levels. Dr. Jennifer Lewalin wrote a book about the effects of Instagram on social comparison. She says social comparison can make us unhappy or angry, can lead us to have a distorted view of the ideal female body, and can lead us to want to engage in actions that will lead to extreme weight loss. And I've noticed a trend in males that YouTubers are pushing the Marvel body, you know, ripped like Captain America or Thor. Sadly, 22% of young men are having really negative thoughts many times a day that they're not muscular enough, and that leads them to spend way too much time in the gym. They're calling it bigorexia. Comparison leads to not feeling good enough. Dr. Lewallen says that with this constant perception that others are doing better in life than you are, that can impact how you see yourself. You may feel like your efforts aren't good enough or that you need to change something about yourself when you're bombarded with images and updates of others succeeding financially, socially, educationally, etc. So how do we stop worrying about being good enough? Well, for those of you with awakened brains who believe in good, good is the answer. To stop all this comparison and love the good in yourself and love the good in others. And for those of you with awakened brains who believe in God, God is the answer. Jesus Christ asks us to follow him. And what did he do? Well, he was not in the gym for most of the day. Actually, Jesus went about doing good. I find most people do a lot of things every day but they get so many self-criticisms and negative thoughts that they don't reflect on the good they're doing. They worry that they don't do well enough. It doesn't stick in their brain. They don't give themselves credit. In order to change all that, we need to focus on the good stuff and change the way we review the good that we are trying to do each day. Here are some ideas to do that. I have a client who just got divorced. Her addict husband train wrecked the marriage. Now he's stalking her and attempting to convince her to remarry him, trying to convince the families on both sides that she's at fault. She thinks a plethora of negative thoughts. Nobody believes me when I tell them, finally, how terrible things were. Why couldn't I make this marriage work? Maybe there's something wrong with me. Why couldn't I stick it out? I asked her to accept the assignment of a focus on the good stuff journal. So in the morning, she organizes her day. And for her, that means praise about the things she'd like to get done. And at night, she puts a check on the things she got done. She reminds herself that she's doing good, doing things for her growth and development network, check, doing things to help other people, Check doing good things to awaken her brain, like scripture study, check, and doing good things for her body, like exercise, check. After two weeks, she said, the good stuff journal helps her to shift her thoughts from terrible thoughts and think about the good things she's doing. And this is what's exciting. And it makes her want to do more good things. So a morning journal focusing on the good stuff is one way. And another way is to use CBT. Cognitive behavior therapy is the best of psychology. It's been proven successful in hundreds of studies, especially in conjunction with therapy and medication. However, CBT isn't the best of psychology if you can't remember what it stands for. Then it's just the worst of psychology because I'm confusing you with psychobabble. Let's try calling it something more user-friendly. Let's call it the three L's. Loss, loss, logic, and love. You ask yourself just three questions and you write or type the answers just as they come out. I like to put mine on a table with three columns. At the top of the column on the left is the word loss. I'm going to use an example here of a young man who has a lot of performance anxiety. He's always worried that he's going to mess things up. So under loss or worries, he writes, what are my painful thoughts about this problem? What is my anxiety? And he writes, I don't know if I can do it myself. What if I make a mistake? I don't know enough to do a good job. I worry about looking like a fool. Okay, now in the middle of the table goes the word logic. I think of this also as wisdom. He says, Okay, I know I'm not a total fool. I just helped my dad build a shed and it's still standing. So it's just not logical to say the word fool. Calling myself a fool is black or white thinking, all or nothing thinking. I tried a project last month and I got a B minus. I need to give myself credit for all the good I do and the efforts I make. And in the third column, I write the word love. Or for those of you trying to follow God, it can be words of God. And if you ask yourself, what would someone who loves me say? Followers can say, a God who loves you so much that he suffered and died for you, what would he say in the scriptures about you? So in our example with the young man, what would someone who loves me say? He wrote, someone who loves me would say, hey, you do so many good things every day. Let good be good enough, or words of God from the scripture, who is also someone who loves you. He wrote, it's the devil or Satan that wants to lie to me and do everything he can to deceive me and destroy my self-esteem, destroy my ability to love myself. He works relentlessly to make me think dark thoughts like, I'll never be good enough. I'm an idiot. I'm a fool. But the Spirit speaks truth, and I'm a beloved child of God. I have a wonderful soul of infinite worth. He wants me to grow and develop and get better at things. If I get some help, I can do this project. For with God, all things are possible. I don't know. When I tell myself, with God, all things are possible, I just think that's really powerful to think that God would say, have peace. This is possible. The three L's is a skill that takes a lot of practice and hard work. Why? Think of the sheer number of self-objectifying, hateful, negative thoughts you've had in your lifetime. It takes a while to learn to rethink and replace them. Why would you do this? I'm going to share a profound truth here. I hope you are listening. If you can replace your negative thoughts with logical, healthy, wise thoughts, You can replace the war inside your mind with peace and happiness and love yourself. Real love, not just words. The situation might not change, but your peace inside will change. If you can love yourself, you can love others. And for the followers of Jesus Christ, if you can love others, you can love God. Looking for the good in others. Instead of walking into the family reunion and thinking, Oh there's Sean. He's doing really well in soccer. I'm so out of shape. I'm jealous. But he's such a troublemaker. I heard him and his friends were arrested last week for toilet papering. Oh there's Bethany. Oh dear, she's grown and looking marvelous with her lacrosse legs. My legs are so gross. I need to lay out and get them tan. But I hear she's seventeen and never been on a real date. If we're really going to love others like Jesus Christ loved them, we have to become everyone's cheerleader. If you're focusing on the good stuff, you might think, okay, Sean's area of growth and development is soccer. What question can I ask him to show him I'm interested and draw out the good he's doing? Then you become Sean's cheerleader. Feel genuinely happy that he's making progress. Why look for the good in others and ask them questions? If you're constantly looking for the good in others, it's easier to look for the good in yourself. You'll be giving others appropriate attention. It will feel like love. You'll stop competing. For example, like 93% of women, I've had negative thoughts about my weight and my body for about 100% of my life since I was 16. Some days are really worse than others. Two years ago, I went to a ladies Victorian tea party, two of my daughters and my sister and three of her daughters. It was painful. It wasn't fair. My sister got to ride as a beauty queen on a float in high school because she's a size four but I'm a size 14. I've been exercising and dieting all my life. She's just genetically more like my mom and I'm bigger like my dad's side of the family. And our daughters at the tea party are so slim and look so pretty in their clothes. I felt intimidated and ashamed of my body. That first Victorian tea party was a miserable experience. I couldn't help comparing myself. Well, about six months ago, I was writing these podcasts and thinking, I've got to get control of these negative thoughts. And I started focusing on just one inspired goal on my weight, one inspired goal at a time. Right now, I'm doing an app called Noom, and when a negative thought comes up, I just remember Noom is my one inspired goal, and that's all I'm going to think about. I absolutely refuse to let the negative thoughts stay. I snuff out those thoughts. I use cognitive behavior therapy, or what I call loss, logic, and love. And I've been writing my prayer journal for years with my list of things I need to do every day, but I added a new twist. Now I don't get discouraged about all the things I didn't get done. Instead of focusing on what I didn't accomplish, I focus on the good stuff, what I did accomplish. So, is it working? Was I able to vanquish the negative thoughts? This year I went to the same Victorian tea party. I forgot to criticize myself. I didn't think one single negative thought the whole afternoon. My sister and I were busy practicing our British accent, and I hope this doesn't offend any of my British friends. Oh, darling, I just love your hat. Doesn't this mint tea go lovely with the crumpets? I also realized my sister is so kind and so much fun. I love asking her questions about her principal job. And I noticed that my nieces are really funny and kind to their mom and other people. I had so much freedom to have fun without my negative thoughts dragging me down. What in the world was I thinking to have so much space in my brain for all these negative thoughts for so many years? What a waste. I've learned to stop obsessing about my body and enjoy my beautiful soul. Let's review. To focus on the good in others, two ideas. Number one, Be everyone's cheerleader. And number two, focus on the good they're doing by asking questions. To focus on the good in yourself, number one, pick just one inspired goal. Number two, use loss, logic, and love to vanquish negative thoughts and replace them. Number three, use a journal to focus on the good stuff you do every day. If you know someone who might benefit from hearing these ideas, please share this podcast. Until next time, live like his son, help others on their way.